الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم Before Eid, when we were covering this text, the Book of Assistance, if you, those of you who are here, you might remember, then in the middle I left out the section of Ibadat, and I skipped further ahead into the text, so at least we could discuss some of the issues of Adab and Akhlaq, about the spiritual and moral and ethical character traits of a believer. I'm going to go back, so in the proper text, we will go back to page 19. This was the chapter which I had left in the middle, which was on regular devotions, that a person should have a regular schedule of ibadah. Obviously, Imam al-Khadad was writing in an age and writing to people who were much, much more interested in ibadah than me and you are, and that people in this day and age are. So, obviously, when we go through a reading of this, you will find this way beyond my and your reach. But the lesson to learn from this chapter is the method of thinking. That ibadah has to be a part of my life. Ibadah has to be a part of my week. Ibadah has to be part of my day. That mode of thinking that I have to schedule some ibadah and be regular in them. We may schedule things different than what is written. We may certainly schedule less than what he suggested. Uh, but the lesson to learn from that is the importance of ibadah. Now, in this day and age, many people, they like to say that, well, even just doing the faraid and sunnahs itself is so difficult for us. So why would you want to suggest that we even make the intention or attempt to do nawafil or extra ibadat? The reason is that nawafil, extra ibadat, is what brings the person closer to Allah SWT. Brings the person quotable. Nafil ibadat is what helps a person stay away from sin. Nafil ibadat is what makes a person more disciplined and steadfast in deen. Both you and I and all of us know that there's no shortage of people who pray five times, fard salah and do sin. There's no shortage of people like that. There are many, many people like that. But the more and more you add the ibadat, the less and less likelihood, it's never impossible to sin, anyone and everyone can sin at any time, but the more ibadat you add, the less the chance of sinning. Now, if you look at it that way, me and you, unlike the people at his time, we have a greater interest in sin, greater attraction to sin. We live in societies and environments with greater temptations to sin. So our need for this particular objective of nafil ibadah to protect us from sin is even greater than the need existed in the time of Imam al-Hadal so this is a different approach. In other words, many times people say, I don't need nafil ibadah because I don't need to do extra worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't need the extra reward. I'm basically happy with the standard or minimum reward. So fine, maybe you don't do it for ajr, thawab, maybe you don't do it for reward. Instead, you do it for hifaza. You do it for the extra additional greater hifaza from sin that nafil ibadah brings. You do it for the strength to battle your nafs that ibadah brings. You do it to stay away from ghafla that extra ibadah brings. So there are many, many other reasons, and maybe those reasons are more relevant to us today. Now, if you remember, uh, what he had began was by mentioning a series of nafl ibadat. One was first and foremost the nawafil. 
extra salah, extra prayers. Then he's going to talk about extra recitation of Quran. Then acquiring knowledge of deen, etc., etc. Then dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then fikr, contemplation, and reflection on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we begin here then on page 19. You must have a wird, and a, a few of these lines I had done uh, previously. You must have a wird. The wird again means a regular fixed regimen. The closest way you would say in English is a regular regimen of supererogatory, which is just a fancy English word for nawafil, prayers. In addition to the textually established ones, means in addition to the farais. And you should assign a definite time for it and a definite number which you can constantly sustain. Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in the hadith, Ahambal a'mali indallahi alwa muhawa in qalla that the most beloved of a'mal to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are the ones that are adwan, have most dawam, the ones that are done the most regularly, wa in qalla, even if they're kalil, even if they're few in number. But the beauty of this hadith means that through kalil ibadah, you can get ahabiyyah. You see, there's muhabba to love, there's mahbubiyyah to be beloved, and there's ahabiyyah to be most beloved. So in this beautiful hadith, we find out to get the most belovedness, ahabiyat, all you need is kalil, a little bit of ibadah. So that also makes us realize that all we had to do was a little. And if our laziness and neglect and negligence was such that we couldn't even do a little, it costs us a lot. Because ahabiyah is the greatest to become the most beloved of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is the greatest thing in all the universe that it can be. Greatest thing in the universe and all that the universe contains. So this is why Imam al-Hadad has that hadith in his mind and he, if I remember correctly he's mentioned it elsewhere in his work. So he's saying that you have to do it regularly. Set a definite time for it and definite number which you can constantly sustain. What does that mean? For example, I will recite Surah Yasin after Fajr or I will recite hundred times Salawat Rishif after Asr or I will recite Surah Mulk before I go to sleep. I will make three times or seven times Subhanallah wa bihamdi Subhanallah al after Maghrib. Something, anything, even if it's small, even if it's little, but you do it steadfastly, you do it regularly. Some of our virtuous predecessors, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy on them, had a weird of 1,000 rakahs each day and night. Such, for instance, was Ali ibn al-Hussain radiallahu ta'ala anhumah. Sayyidina Hussain radiallahu was the son of Sayyidina Ali radiallahu grandson of Nabi Kareem sallallahu he named his own son after his father so Sayyidina Hussain radiallahu named his own son Ali so Ali ibn Hussain ibn Ali alright uh, and then if you take the other out uh, ibn Fatima al-Zahra bint Nabi Kareem sallallahu so his practice was to pray uh, 1000 rakahs uh, such uh, for instance, was Ali ibn Hussain who prayed 500, 300, uh, sorry, he prayed 1000, others had a weird of 500, 300, and so on. Oh. So the point is then this was a mamoo, something that they would do every day. For you it might be I pray two extra nafil once a week on a Friday. That's also fine. And we know that from a hadith of Nabi Akadim when he talked about Salat al-Tasbih, he said, okay, pray every night. If you can't pray it every night, pray it once a week. If you can't pray it once a week, pray it once a year. If you can't pray it once a year, pray it once in your lifetime. 
means at least it should be somewhere in your book of deeds. Know that the ritual prayer means salah has an outer form and an inner reality. You will not have established the prayer, the salah and its outward properties, outward proprieties such as correct standing, prostration, tasbih, recitation, bowing and so forth until you've established both its outer aspect and its inner reality. So there's a zahir of the salah, a certain ajab, which is called itminan tamaninat, of doing qiyam, of going in ruku, of standing back up in qoma, going in sujood, sitting between the two sajdas, going back in sujood, that's the zahir of salah. And the batin of salah is the awareness and concentration and focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As for, going back to the text, as for its outer aspect, this constitutes those obligatory conditions set for it by Allah subhanahu wa The sharait of salah pertaining to tahara, that a person must be pure in a state of wudu, the place must be pure, the clothing must be pure. The intent one's heart to be present with Allah subhanahu wa In a saying in Arabic, huzul qalb, huzul qalb means presence of the heart. So what happens often is that the person's body is present, but their heart is absent, their mind is absent. So as important it is to make the body so present that the person is aware of their ruku, so they stay long enough, they bow deeply. To be aware of your sujood, so you stay long enough. Similarly, a person has to be aware of their heart, so their heart is focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To sincerely intend the salah to be purely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To approach Allah Ta'ala in that salah with complete resolution and resolve. And to collect and gather one's heart so that one's thoughts are restricted to the salah and nothing else. And to maintain the adab necessary for addressing Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said in the hadith, the man, the person who prays salah, is communing means is doing khitab, is addressing their rabb. And another day when the servant and slave of Allah rises to offer his salah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turns in his expression of pleasure towards him. Then Imam al continued, you should not, so the purpose of this, and this is all I, things that we did for you last time, is that you should feel that when you are turning to Allah ta'ala, Allah ta'ala is turning towards you. You can take it the other way. You should know that Allah Ta'ala is turning towards you, so therefore you should be more feeling in your turning towards Him. You should not occupy yourself with unspecified supererogatory prayers at a time designated for a sunnah, which Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu either did or spoke about until you have completed the maximum designated number. An example of this is the rakahs laid down before and after the obligatory prayers. These are sufficiently well known as to need no further comment. Another example is the Witter prayer, which is well established in certain prayers. Some scholars have been of the opinion that it is obligatory. And the Prophet said that Allah Ta'ala's Witter, any Allah Ta'ala's Ahad, which is an odd number, and Allah Ta'ala loves that which is Witter, therefore observe the Witter. Another place can be a Kareem said that Witter is truth. Its maximum is 11 rakahs and its appropriate minimum 3. For those who have an established habit, okay. Now, again, uh, there are three types of prayers that Sayyidina Rasulullah offered. And what happened was that later the jurists, the fuqaha, they put tags and labels on these types of prayers. But I want you to understand the prayers themselves directly from Hadith, and then you will be able to appreciate 
the tags and labels that the jurists put upon them. Type number one is that prayer that Sayyidina Rasulullah never ever left. Never. His whole life he always prayed that prayer. No matter what was going on, he always prayed that salah. That salah was labeled by the jurists as farud. As farud. Alright? Second type of prayer. Listen very carefully, I'm going to explain it in a very particular way in English. The second type of prayer was that salah which Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam always prayed no matter what except in three particular circumstances. Those three circumstances were number one, jihad. Number two, in battle, during the battle. Number two, suffer while traveling and being in a state of being a traveler. And number three, marav while being in a state of illness. Other than these three circumstances, Sayyidina Rasulullah always prayed those prayers. Those prayers, the jurist gave it a tag, it's called Sunnat Mu'akkadah. Sunnat Mu'akkadah. Now obviously it's different than Fard, because Fard never left it. So the jurist wanted to use a tag to explain it's a different category. The Prophet did leave it, but he left it due to three, exclusively, specifically three known circumstances, jihad, suffer, and marad. And there's a third type of prayer, Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam offered, third type of salah. And that was a salah that he prayed, and sometimes he left praying it for no apparent reason, for no identifiable reason, for no known reason, for no explained reason. Sometimes prayed it, sometimes left it without any reason whatsoever. So you can say completely optional, completely optional. The jurists had many different labels they give to this third type of prayer. Some, because it was still a sunnah, because it was established from his practice, so they wanted to retain the word sunnah in the label. So they kept the word sunnah. But now they needed a second word to distinguish from category two, so they call it sunnah ghair muakkadah. Sunnah ghair muakkadah. Some simply just called it nafil. Some simply called it mandub, mustahab, or different words in Arabic. Three types of prayers. Now, because we take our deen from Sayyidina Rasulullah so now that you understand behind the labels, we have to do what he did. And what he did was type one, he always prayed. So I mean you have to try inshallah to never miss any fard salah. If ever a fard salah is missed, we have to make qadam that salah. Type number two, he always prayed them unless he was in jihad, suffer or maraz. So mean you also always have to pray them unless we are in jihad, safar or maras. So that means, for example, now the two sunnat mu'akkadah before fajr salah, before the fard of fajr, the four before the fard of zohar and the two after the fard of zohar, the two after the fard of maghrib and the two after the fard of isha, these have to always be prayed. Always, they're equally always prayed the way the were always prayed. Unless a person is in battle or on journey or in the hukam of being a traveler or in a state of illness. Alright? Other than that, in these, other than these states, there's no difference in the always part. Alright? I explain that because there are some unfortunate, quote unquote, 
reformist, modernist, modern understandings that say that no, these are optional. So they don't understand, no, that's category three. So three categories, and you have to honestly look at the seer and hadith and see what it speaks to you, rather than coming at it with a preconceived notion. Yes, there is that third category, no doubt, there are prayers like that, which say that Rasulullah sometimes prayed, sometimes he meant, such as four rakats before Asr, such as Salatul Ishraq, such as Salatul Duha, called Chast in Persian Urdu, such as Salatul Awabin, such as Tahiyatul Masjid, Tahiyatul Guru, Salatul Tasbih, Salatul Istikhara, Salatul Hajjah, Salatul Tawbah, Salatul Tahajjud, just praying Nawafil. Alright? And those are completely optional. Alright? So this is something that has to be understood. The three rakats of Witr are also in category one. They say that Rasulullah always prayed them. However, and this is a particular thing in the Hanafi jurist, that because there are many hadith that talk about the five prayers, As-Salawat al-Khamsa, Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha, and obviously Witr is not one of those five. So dis- to distinguish it from those five, again to capture the distinction in the hadith, they added a separate tag for Witr and they call it Wajah. Alright, but as far as how I explained to you category number one, the Sayyidina Rasulullah always prayed it, even during battle or journey or illness, wither falls in that category. Alright, but we don't call it Fard, because we saved the Fard label for the five prayers, five daily prayers. Alright, okay. For those who have an established habit of rising for Salah during the latter part of the night, it's better to perform it then, is referring to Vitr Salah. Sayyidina Rasulullah said that make your night prayer the Vitr. But for those who have no such regular habit, would do better to perform it after the night prayer. And I explained to the Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq, he used to pray Vitr after Isha Salah, even though he used to regularly pray Tajjid. Why? Because he said, I'm going to go to sleep now, and I don't know if Allah will wake me up. Sometimes death can come into a person in their sleep. He says, I don't want to sleep having a dain, an outstanding obligatory uh, ibadah on me. But I want to sleep having fulfilled all my hukukullah. So he used to pray with her um, before going to sleep. And we also personally think that that is the recommended practice. A further example is the mid-morning Salatul Doha prayer, which is very useful and blessed prayer. Its maximum is eight rakats, though some of the twelve, and its minimum is two. The best time for it is when the sun is high and about a quarter of the day has gone by. Alright, now I'm going to teach you some Islamic understanding of time. Because it's important in I'll just do the whole mathematical thing for you right now. So there's two ways that in our deen the day has been split. One is for fasting and one is for the prayer. For fasting, you know, Fajr to Maghrib is daytime, and Maghrib to, Ish- Maghrib to Fajr is nighttime, right? Fajr to Maghrib, you have to fast, and from Maghrib to Fajr, you can eat. That everybody's clear on? So we can say, for fasting, Fajr to Maghrib is day, Maghrib to Fajr is night. However, for the Salah, for the Salah, there's a word, for calculating these prayers, there's a word in Arabic, Nahar. And Nahar is contrasted to Layl. Nahar and Layl. Alright? And then there's another word called Zawal. This is the type of thing that I myself or 
one day our teaching assistants could make a PowerPoint of it, right? So, now watch this. Between Fajr and Maghrib, between Fajr and Maghrib, the midpoint is called Nisfinahar. And between sunrise and Maghrib, the midpoint is called Zawal. Okay? These are two different timings. Alright? Because let's say Fajr starts at 4.30 and sunrise is at 6 o'clock. Alright? And Maghrib is at 6. So let's say you take that. So Zawal would be the midpoint between sunrise and Maghrib. That would be 12 noon. And Nisfinahar would be 11.15 a.m. Alright, that's the midpoint between Fajr and Maghrib. So when he's saying here that the time of Salat al-Duha starts when a quarter of the day has gone by, so you're quartering the day from Fajr to Maghrib. Fajr to Maghrib. So if you want to calculate the time of Salat al-Duha, if you prefer to use calculation, then you will take the time between Fajr and Maghrib and divide it by four and add one quarter of that time to Fajr. Alright? Earlier methods of calculating Satu Doha was that if you took one sphere, whatever was the standard length of the sphere in the Arab time, and you held it up in front of you at arm's length, and then if you could see by placing the sphere that the sun had risen on top of the point of the spear. Because when the sun rises, it pierces the horizon. Right? That's when the shock starts. Then all the time it's rising, it's makru to pray. Until there's infisal, the solar disk splits from the horizon. And it keeps going from our perspective. Of course, the sun isn't moving, but from our perspective, the sun goes in an arc and it keeps rising. When it rises such that it's now above the tip of your spear, that's another way to start Salat al-Duhah. The third way that is mentioned in the classical works, when does this time of Salat al-Duha start, is that the sun has risen enough that it has heated the sand in the desert so that it's too hot to walk on it in bare feet. So you have three options of calculating the time of Salat al-Duha. Alright? Salat al-Ishraq starts at when there is infisal. Now, how long does that take? That really depends on latitude, longitude, altitude, and time of the year and season, and whether in northern hemisphere or southern hemisphere. So an easier way, the ulama have mentioned 15 minutes as a global standard. So 15 minutes after the time of sunrise, for 15 minutes the time is makru, which is not for anything. Once 15 minutes elapses, passes, then you can pray Salat al-Ishra. So this covers the math of Salat al-Ishraq, the math of Salat al-Duha. Now we move to the... Another reason why Nisf al-Nahar, by the way, is helpful, because Nisf al-Nahar is the last... You have to make niyyah for the fast before Nisf al-Nahar. Alright? Which is earlier than Zawa. And for those of you who are in Thikaf, this is the famous Zahwat al-Kubra, otherwise known as Nisf al-Nahar. Alright? Time of Tahajjud. Time of Tahajjud now, there are two types of hadith that we find on calculating the time of Tahajjud. First is that Nabiya Kareem sallallahu it's not about Tahajjud, but Nabiya Kareem sallallahu mentioned that in the last, last 
third of the night of Layl, Allah SWT answers people's dua. Is there any person asking me that I may grant it to them? Is there any people seeking forgiveness for me that I may forgive them? Right? And secondly, and you will now hear uh, Allah SWT in Quran Kareem has also mentioned this in two different ayat. So the first one, That from the night, from part of the night, This is referring to Salat al that you should perform this extra prayer. This is where the jurors took this tag, Nafil from. A lot of people don't even know that. They think Nafil is some Indian, Desi, Hanafi word. It's in Quran. Alright? Nafilatan laka asa'an yab ataka rabbuka maqaman mahmooda that maybe you and this is specifically in the first instance addressed singularly fatahajjad singularly to Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wasallam that from the night you should rise and pray this extra prayer in the hope that may have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may bestow upon you and raise you in maqam al-mahmood this is that same maqam al-mahmood for which we make dua after adhan. I will also mention this interesting thing to you. The non-Arab tradition is sometimes actually truer to Arabic than the Arabs were. Yes. So a lot of things that sometimes people think is Desi culture, it's actually what I rather prefer in the Trans-Oxanian Persian Indo-Islamicate culture. What does it mean? That very quickly, after the time of Sahaba and Tabin, the center, center moved, center of ilm moved to Baghdad and Kufa, which is also amongst the Arabs, but it's Iraq, it's not in Arab, it's not Jazeera to Arab, it's not the Arabian Peninsula. Then it moved further to Bukhara, Tashkent, Samarkand. Then it came even here to Herat, in Kabul, and then Delhi. All right. Now these people were non-Arab. For example, the most famous Muhaddithin, Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim, they were Central Asian ethnically. And Imam Nasai, Imam Abu Dawood, uh, sorry, Imam Bukhari Imam Al-Timadi were Central Asian ethnically. Imam Muslim, Imam Nasai, Imam Abu Dawood, Imam Ibn Majah were Persian ethnically, non-Arabs. The non-Arabs actually tend to be more true to the Arabic usage in the Quran and Hadith. That's why in Hanafi fiqh it's called Nafil. The Arabs, because they are masters of the language themselves, so sometimes they would change a tag, such as calling it Mandub or Mustahab, because the word means optional prayer, preferred prayer, recommended prayer, beloved prayer. So they were masters of the language, so they would express themselves in their own native language when making their tags. And because the non-Arabs did nakal when it came to Arabic, so that's why you will find in Hanafi fiqh the word nafil, and in all of the other Maliki, Shafi, and Hanbali fiqh, the word will be either mustahab or mundu. Alright? This is just ilmi uh, nukta for you people. And maqam al-mahmood is very important because some people even make that dua after adhan, and they don't even know that maqam al-mahmood, the tazkara is in Quran. Alright? So this is in Surah Al-Isra, in Surah 17, verse number 79. But then another place in the Quran, Allah Subhanahu mentions this Salat Tahajjud not just for Nabi Akrim Sallallahu but then mentions it for the Ummah. And the first instance of the Ummah is Sahab Ikram. So listen here, this is Surah Al-Muzammil, Surah number 73, verse 20.
Inna rabbaka ya'lamu annaka takumu annar min thulathay al-layli wa nisfahu wa thulathahu. That indeed your Rabb knows that you, singular Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, takum, you stand, you do piyam, you stand close to two-thirds of the night, or half of it, or one-third of it. وَطَّائِفَةٌ مِّنَ الَّذِينَ مَعَكِ And a group of those who are with you. This means Sahabi Kiram radiallahu ta'ala al-Majma'i. Some say it initially was referring to the Ashab al-Sufa, but then other Sahabi Kiram after this was revealed started praying this in their homes as well. And then you had an increasing number of Sahabi Kiram praying to Hajjul Salah. وَلَا يُقَلِّرُ اللَّيْلَ وَالنَّهَارَ So now you have this layla now. And indeed Allah Ta'ala is the one who apportions and sets and determines the shifting of night and day. Okay, alright. That's enough about this. Okay, yes. Yeah, so, then the hadith of Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So one was about the last year of the night. Then Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned that the most beloved fast to Allah Ta'ala was the fast of Nabi Dawud al-Islam, which was to fast every other day, all ten days. And the most, in the same hadith, and the most beloved night worship to Allah was of Nabi Dawud al-Islam, who used to work, wake up at half of the night, and worship Allah and sleep in the last sudus, in the last sixth of the night. So now what happens is that the way it's done, traditionally, and it's almost no one in the world does this anymore. But in, for centuries of Muslim history, the majority of worshippers, Ibad, used to do this. And they would divide the night into six parts. And they would divide the night into six parts. The first three, six, I mean the first half, would be for sleeping. Then they would wake up, and maybe a little bit of time for wudu. And then that fourth, sixth, would be spent in Ibadah, Salah. That fifth, Sixth would be spent in du'a and istighfar. And the sixth, sixth would be spent in sleeping again. And this was also, Ummul Mu'mineen Sayyidah Aisha Radhan mentions in yet another hadith, that this was the sunnah of Nabi Kareem Sallallahu which is known as Arabic as Tahajjud Bainan Nomein. That he used to pray Tahajjud between two sleeps. That first half of the night sleep, and that last sixth of the night was a sleep between his Tahajjud and his Praying Fajr Salah in Jama'ah in Masjid Nabu. Alright? Now, when you go back to that hadith of the last third of the night, it makes sense. A lot of us, what we do, and from, I also used to feel like this, that okay, we'll just rise in the last third of the night and make dua. But I see the adab of the anbiya, whether it was Dawud al-Islam or Nabi Kareem, sallallahu was the other was that before they turned to Allah Ta'ala in that last third, which is the last two-sixths of the night, in making dua, they first spent one-sixth in qiyam, in doing ibadah. So they would spend one-sixth of the night, which is the fourth-sixth, making ibadah. And then in the fifth-sixth they would make dua and istighfar. So there was adam there, the ibadah first, and then dua and istighfar second. And then they would sleep. Then what happened was, now something, now all of this, the last part of the story is something you people will be familiar with. Then what happened was, there was a practice that started at the time of the Salaf Salihin to pray Salatul Istikhara, also at that time of Tajjud. And then what would happen is when they would sleep in that sixth, 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 
sixth of the night between their tahajjud and praying fajr in jama'ah, sometimes they would see what you call a quote-unquote dream. But actually it wasn't always a dream. But what happened to them was they would feel in that sleep, they would get shara sadr. And there was a notion that that sleep itself is blessed. And one can think like that, that how blessed is that sleep that you just spent one-sixth of the night worshipping Allah Ta'ala, then one-sixth of the night making dua to Allah Ta'ala, and then you slept with the intention to wake up again to pray Fajr Salah. So it's a very blessed sleep. So they would often get a shara sadr in response to their istikhara at that time. Alright? So it's when you follow this whole tartib, when you follow this whole schedule and do it regularly, then you can talk about this question that, oh, will my response to istikhara come to me in my sleep? So that had a whole context to it. That had a whole context to it. Another thing we realize from this is now another hadith of Nabi Akhirim Sallallahu which brings it back to Isha, is that Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu said that a person should not engage in vain conversation, idle talk after Isha. So there's a very deep understanding of the night. And this is how the pious or those who wanted to be pious, those who were seeking to be salim and mutakin spent their nights. And this is a thing that almost all of us have lost. Me and most of you, we stay up late. We don't go to sleep after Isha. Right? There used to be a time when we were children that we would go to sleep at 9 p.m. And then it was a very big thing to hit the double digits, 10 p.m. Now it's a question that, you know, you can only sleep when it's a.m. In midnight, most people today sleep between midnight and 2 a.m. There's no question of sleeping in the p.m. That's how the West has divided the night. What a.m. p.m. They don't have the spiritual guidance from the Vietnam. They've chosen to neglect it. So they just came up with their own p.m. a.m. system. Right? Ours is more in tune with nature. Ours has to do with when the sun disappears from the horizon. That's Maghrib. All right? And the last question... Tell Allah will give you a shot. There's one question you have to ask me that's left from the whole discussion. There's one thing I didn't explain to you. There's a question. It's a big question. Yes. That's half zoo. That you should guard your prayers and especially a salatul wusta. And that's different. A salatul wusta, people of ulama took it in two ways. Number one is if you start from the concept of the Islamic date, it starts at Maghrib. So then Maghrib Isha, and then Fajr is the middle one, and then Zohar Asr. Others took it from the perspective of Nahar. Nahar. Again, Nahar starts from Fajr. So Fajr, Zohar, Asr is the middle one, and then Maghrib Isha. So salatul wusta is either Asr Salah or Fajr Salah. And you find that in people today also, that Fajr is something we find it difficult to pray. Or some people who are busy at work or studies or any worldly mushguliyat, sometimes they find Asr difficult to pray. So that is another question. Another question is when does the layal start? Okay, so I give you the start of the day. For perspective of Zawal, it starts from sunrise. From perspective of Nahar, it starts at Fajr. Does the night start at Maghrib or does the night start at Isha? All the classical ulama were of the position for calculating this. When is the last end of the night? 
So if you want to know when, let's say somebody says, okay, maybe not every night, but okay, once in my life I should at least once in my life do amal on this hadith, that Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said the most beloved night prayers of Nabi Dawud wake up at nisful layl. So when do I, how do I calculate that? Does it start from Maghrib or does it start from Isha? And does it end at Fajr? Does it start at Ishraq? This is one of the more baffling things. Hmm? So when we looked into this, and we had uh, one of our teachers in Mufti Akhlaq look into it, uh, basically all the classical scholars took the understanding that for this purpose of night prayer, Layl will be calculated from Maghrib to Fajr. And the reason, basically that seems to emerge, is that for sure we know Nahar is from Fajr to Maghrib. So if we start Layl at Isha, then what are you going to do about the time between Maghrib and Isha? It's in no man's land. Nahar plus Layl must equal 24 hours. Like their AM and PM. AM and PM together combined must cover the whole day. So they had this feeling. There was only one scholar, by the name of Ibn Taymiyyah, Rimullah Ta'ala, he took the position that for fasting, Layl starts at Maghrib. Because then, again, the word Layl is used in Quran, that for example, it's permissible to, for you to uh, have spousal relations in the Layl. And that obviously, we said it starts at Isha, no, it's, that starts at Maghrib, right? So those ulama also took that as there, the classical ulama took that as another proof that Layl starts at Maghrib, using the fasting. He took the position that no, for fasting, Layl starts at Maghrib, but for Salah, Layl starts at Isha, because the night prayer is obviously something you do after you pray Isha Salah, right? Uh, but his own students actually did not follow him on this position, and this is one of his many, there are certain isolated positions that he had. And we also feel rationally speaking, and based on the textual evidence, the stronger position is this, that Layl starts at Maghrib. So what you would do then is, if ever you want to do this, uh, that you should try to do that. And try to wake up at Nisful Layl, to take the time from Maghrib to Fajr, find the midpoint, wake up at that time, then stay up for two-sixths, one-sixth in Salah, and the second-sixth in Ibadah, Dua, Istighfar, and then go back to sleep and set ten alarms for yourself, so you indeed wake up again to catch Fajr in Jamaat in the Masjid. And then you would have at least spent one night of your life offering what our beloved Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told us was the most beloved night prayer to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Alright. I know today I went into a lot of technical detail, but when our Dean talks talk to us in terms of halves and thirds and sixths, we should submit to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala and worship Him in the way that He wishes to be worshipped. By the way, to give you a rough idea. I actually calculated all this in the spreadsheet and I got help from somebody on this because I tried my best to figure out Excel, the Excel formula for calculating the Lahmatsaneva and I had to send it to some accountant huh? and then they sent it back to me with the formulas to calculate but I have that, that's a template now, that's a formula that we can, I mean, I'm assuming it can always work uh, let me quickly tell you Okay, but let me continue. Maybe at the end I'll open, I'll take a pause and open that up and give you what exactly the time is. Uh, okay. 
Yes. All right. Here's a back to page 20. Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, so actually I stopped reading the text when he was talking about Salat al-Duha. Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, morning comes and on each of your fingers your charity is due. Each tasbih, yani saying subhanallah is a charity. Each tahmida, saying alhamdulillah is a charity. Each tahlila, saying la ilaha illallah is a charity. And each takbira, yani saying Allah is a charity. And al-amru bil-ma'ruf wa nahin al-munkar. And enjoining the good and forbidding evil is also a charity. Alright. Uh, two rakahs performed in the mid-bin morning would supply for all of that. So this is a deed that's talking about Salatul Duha. Just two rakahs Salatul Duha would be sufficient. Now again, at those times people were living in a day and age, and if you remember I had at one point done this for you, I think, and I remember doing it, I don't remember, but talking to you about Amr bin Maruf and Nain Munta. Right? We're not able to do that so much in this day and age. Remember? We can't do it through action and we often can't do it through speech. So then we should do it through heart and we should do it through Salatul Duha. So a person should feel that, okay, look, there's some injustice or oppression going on and I can't stop it. And Nabi Karim Sallallahu wanted that I should try to stop it at one injustice and one oppression every day. So I can't do it, so then I can do Amal al-Sadeed that Salatul Duha is sufficient for that. The time, by the way, another thing, the end of Salatul Duha, the start time I gave you, right? Sand getting too hot, sun's appearing on top of spear, or the one quarter of the Nahar. It lasts until Zawal. So basically, for most people, normally when you wake up, uh, you can pray before you go to work, like 8 a.m., 8.30 a.m., 9 a.m., and that's the time to pray true rakats. And you could think that, okay, look, I'm not really doing any work for the Ummah, I'm not stopping any injustice or oppression, but every day I pray these two rakats. And then after you pray those two rakats, you can make a few seconds du'a, that Allah Ta'ala remove the poverty and injustice and oppression and discrimination and bias that exists in this world. Alright? So this is a way in this hadith that a person can do something that is equated and equivalent, equated and viewed as equivalent by none other than Nabiya Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to again two rakats of Salatul So Imam al continues, if this Sahih Hadith had been the only Hadith transmitted concerning the merit of this prayer, Salatul would have been sufficient. But he's giving an ishan that there are other Hadith about it as well. Yet another example is the prayer between Maghrib and Isha prayers. This is known as Salatul Awwabin. Awab means a person who repeatedly turns to Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Such a person is called Awab. Its maximum is 20 rakats and its average or its minimum is 6. Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu said that Allah ta'ala erects a palace in Jannah for the person who prays 20 rakats between the two night prayers. And the Prophet sallallahu said the one who prays 6 rakats after the Maghrib prayer and does not speak ill. So there's a two conditions. Either you pray 20 rakats or you pray 6 and you don't speak ill. In other words, you just kept on praying until Isha. Okay, you stop after praying 6 and uh, does not speak ill between the remainder of Maghrib, Maghrib and Isha will have them equal the worship of 12 years. I will tell you openly, this hadith is considered weak according to the according to the science of hadith criticism. But it was the unanimous, literally unanimous, what we call ijma, unanimous opinion of those very same early hadith critics 
that we can eat can be used for what are called fada'il, to make that, that whole category of things is known as fada'il. But either way, uh, whether a person gets the worship of 12 years or more or less, this is the fazl of Allah SWT, he can give it to whomsoever he wants. And the last technical point about this is that uh, the ulama have said that the two sunnata mu'akkada after Maghrib Salah counts towards the six. So actually then, you could just pray four more. Three plus two plus four. But those ulama who were erring on the side of caution, just in case uh, that those two didn't count, that they would say pray three plus two plus six if you wanted to pray. Hobabi. Then Imam Allah continues, it is a sunnah to give life to the period between the two night prayers with devotions, with different ibadah, dua, tilawat, etc. Many ahadith have been transmitted regarding its merit. It should be enough to know that when Ahmad ibn Abu Hawari, Rimullah Ta'ala, asked to Shaykh Abu Sulaiman, Rimullah Ta'ala, whether you should fast by day or give life, means do ibadah to the period between the two night prayers, he advised him to do both. To which he told his shaykh, look, I can't. Because if I fast during the day, I become occupied with breaking my fast at that time. There's also an other here, you have to be very honest in your question and answer with the ustal, alim and shaykh. So he's basically saying that if I fast, I'm going to be eating all the way from Maghrib to Isha. I mean, you would think, no, you should be hardcore, just break his fast with dates and water at Maghrib and follow what his shaykh said and give life to Maghrib to Isha with worship and eat after Isha. He said, Shaykh, no, if I'm going to fast in the day, all the Maghrib to Isha, I'm going to be busy eating. All the way between Maghrib to Isha, I'm going to be busy eating. So, then the Shaykh said, okay, if you cannot do both, then leave the daytime fasting and give life to the time between the night prayers. Now, this is not a hadith, right? And there's no certain answer to this. And many times people ask this question as well. But, oh, you know, I have 10 minutes, should I recite Qur'an, or should I make dua, or should I pray Salatul Tahajjud, or should I recite Salawat, or should I learn about Ilm al So different shiuch might give you different answers, and maybe looking at you or your context or your situation, there's no definitive, certain, absolute answer to this question, right? But it is, at the same time, the answers the Mashai give, so we must know that they're not absolute, definitive certainty but they can give us a certain level of guidance. The Imam Hazad found this very telling, very revealing, that the Shaykh said, okay, if you can't do both, then don't fast during the day, and give ibadah between Maghrib and Isha. So what we would say to you, if anybody asked me this question, should I do both? And, so if you, and, and I, you know, because naturally if you ever ask, we try to get you to do everything. Because what should I do? I said, do both. And you say, oh, I can't do both. So my answer to you would be, okay, you should alternate. Sometimes fast during the day, and sometimes give life to the time between Maghrib and Isha. And if I knew you better, I would say that alternate and see which one has a better effect on your relationship to Allah You may not be able to perceive that, but you might be able to perceive it. You may say, you know, I've been trying the fasting thing, and it doesn't seem to put a dent in my nafs. My nafs is so big. It seems to be impervious to this fasting. Let me try this. Let me just sit, go to the masjid for Maghrib Salah and stay there till Isha. And keep my phone off all the time from Maghrib to Isha. 
and only and only engage in ibadah from regularity. Let me try that for a few days and see how much of an effect that has in my spirituality. So always remember all of these nawafil. Yes, we can do them for ajr, sawab, reward. But we're also doing them for an objective. And the objective is mukhalafatul nafs, mujadatul nafs. The objective is that we want to see that these ibadat strengthen us in our ability to stay away from sin. These ibadat strengthen our attraction toward deen, make us less attracted to dunya. And these ibadat remove the laziness in ourselves. So you have to see. And, if any, and you may not be able to see, be able to identify that. But if ever you do, find an ibadat that is more effective on you individually, on these three goals, staying away from sin, more passionate about deen and less lazy, right? Uh, then you should go for that one. But you found the one that's best for you because it's the one that seems to be having the best effect on you. Alright? Again, this is all the way of thinking. This is what... This is, this is the things that come out when you read a text like this. It's not just about the particular prescriptions, it's about the way of thinking that I want to manual like this. Why would you want to manual like this if I want to live my life like this? Right? This is a way of thinking. That way of thinking used to be called in Arabic saluk. That a person is a wayfarer, journeyer, traveler on the path to increase the, to get an increased pleasure from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright, Ummu Mu'mineen Sayyidah Aisha radiyatana, she said that Nabi Akareem sallallahu never entered my house after Isha Salah without having prayed four or six rakahs yani in the masjid. Now this is interesting because we know in another hadith that Nabi Akareem sallallahu normally preferred to pray those extra prayers at his home, not in the masjid. But apparently after Isha Salah, Nabi Akareem sallallahu would pray four or six rakahs. Likely in twos. And the Prophet ﷺ said, but this is also a hadith that is weak in nature, four rakahs after the night prayer equal the same on the night of destiny. Now what does it mean? On the one hand I told you that the early hadith critics all have ijma that you can use a weak hadith. At the same time I keep pointing out to you that it's weak. So you go, why is he keep pointing it out? Reason is, now understand, that it being weak does not mean one thing, but it does mean another thing. It does not mean that you shouldn't want to pray these four rakahs. These four rakahs after Isha are established as having some merit. So it doesn't mean that, that this hadith is totally fluff and there's no virtue, fazila at all. But what it does mean is that you should not have a firm aqidah on this, that it equals the same on Layl Bukhadar. That can't be your aqidah, because it's a weak hadith. You can say, okay, maybe, Definitely from the sunnah is established because it's not a fabricated hadith, it is a hadith. So 100% definitely from the sunnah it is established that there is a fadila, there is a virtue and merit to praying four nafal rakahs after isha. That's what's for sure, notwithstanding it being a weak hadith. But it's not for sure that it equals praying four rakahs on the other. That's just at the level of possibility. Alright? Why? Because it is a weak hadith. Alright? So the certainty of a fazila existing remains certain despite it being a weak hadith, but the particular fazila being mentioned is just at the realm of possibility because it's a weak hadith. Had it been a sahih hadith, then we would say for sure it equals Layl Tukadi. Alright? 
So that also makes you understand a bit about the usage of Hadith. Okay. So Imam al basically sums up this entire discussion. Yeah, I prepared like four chapters for I, I was fair. But it's important to know these things also in detail. Maybe the more detail you know, Right? Huh? All right. Uh, can pray at night. For he, Nabi Akrim, said, the best prayer after the prescribed ones is the nighttime prayer. That's a confirmed thing. So the al-Zadir, the best extra prayer is the night prayer. All right. And another day, the superiority of nighttime prayers over daytime prayers is like the superiority of concealed charity over public charity. And in a separate day, Nabi Akrim Sallallahu mentioned that concealed charity is 70 times better than public charity. So what does it mean? The nighttime prayer, extra prayer is 70 times better than the daytime prayer. So then you go back, and that was a sahih about Salatul Duha being equivalent to one tasbih, one tahmeed, one tahleel, one takbir, and Amr Bhan, and an munkar. And tahajju will be 70 times more than that. So you can keep going rounds on this. And these are the type of things Mahadisim used to do. This is what would go on in their cities. They would keep bringing the hadith and bringing this one and go or second round on it. And by the time they were done, you would think that there's no greater virtue than anything else than praying at night. And you become a tajud guzar. Hmm? That's the benefit of dars hadith right? That's the benefit of interlinking these different hadith with each other. Uh, maybe, I'm not really sure because in those days we had a fixed end timing of 9.59 p.m. But we have to start later. I don't know, is it 9.59 or is it 9.29? Or 9.44? Hmm? If I divide the hour into quarters. Hmm? I will pause here a little bit because I, I mean, uh, because there is no more tech. I, I wanted to make a couple of general comments though about this notion of tonight, alright? So let's, uh, having understood the technicalities. So I started out by saying to you that me and you are very different. And we don't go to sleep until between midnight and 2 a.m. Average person now goes to sleep between midnight and 3 a.m. In our age group, right? Uh, it's really considered a very fakir person who can go to sleep by 11 p.m. But the truth is that if you really, really want to fix your deen, and you really, really want to fix your relationship with Allah SWT, it actually is that easy. Just change your bedtime. It is that easy. You say, don't make being easy. Okay. But of course, the flip side is that changing your bedtime is very difficult. <laughs> right? It's very easy in the sense that it's one step, one shot, one thing to fix. And a lot of things will become fixed. And if you notice in the world, before, you know, before there wasn't even electricity to be honest. So that, I don't, I don't really remember, but electricity was probably invented in the 1700s or 1800s or became... Um, I've been to areas in Pakistan personally where there's no electricity. I remember when I, this was in 2000, I visited a place south of Mukhan, when one of my spouse was a mosque of South Sabri, there was a masjid that was being built. He said, we're going to go for Iqtitaab, that masjid. That masjid was maybe like, literally, maybe like the size of this office, and maybe twice, two, three times the size. It was, it was tiny. And then I found in that area there was no electricity. I made the from Riki Abibi, I came in 99. I remember asking them, 
Writing books, Imam Ghazali wrote all his works without electricity, without a candle or oil lantern, without ever drinking cold water, without ever having a fan, right? And you know, I mean, me and you know, the greatest need of the fan is the matcher, right? Yeah, I mean, without the fan, just imagine when you sleep, without the fan you're finished. You're just, not the, just food for the matcher all night, it's all over. Right? If you wear the netting, then you have less airflow. Hmm? So I was telling you the vast majority of the Muslim Ummah lived in a time when there wasn't electricity, and that's a reason why people would go to sleep. And if you look at us, it's not just electricity. Everything is designed to keep you awake. In America, they call it prime time entertainment, prime time television. Prime time television. What does it mean? You know, prime time. What is? It's not your prime time for dunya. When it comes to prime time, they took your work nine to five. Do you know as far as your work, that was your prime time. It was your prime time for ibadah. It's prime time for your religion. And they're secular. It's prime time for spirituality. And they're materialistic. So what did they do? They took the prime time for ibadah. And the best TV shows from we used to grow up was after 8 p.m. 8 p.m. onward is when the real stuff, like the top and late night, and late, late night, and late, late, late night television. So from prime time to late night, to late, late night, to late, late night, it's the antithesis to everything that Imam al-Dadr wrote in two pages. It goes against all the hadith of Nabiya Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa It goes against that, that one main hadith I told you, don't engage in idle talk and vain talk after Isha. And with all due respect, the majority, the majority, not entirety, not all, but the majority of the content of the majority of Pakistani late night news talk shows also fall in vain in idle conversation. Alright? Because if they were beneficial, then millions of hours of late night talk shows were beneficial, then millions of hours should have helped the country. It should have helped the politics, because that's what they're talking about. They're talking about politics, economics, and society. If it was beneficial and they spent a million hours doing it, we should see the benefits. There's no benefits that you can observe. So it's clearly not beneficial to have those discussions. Right? So this is a problem. Now the cell phone and internet, so I started with TV and movies or whatever it is, now cell phone and internet is a person that sometimes people even are sleepless. They can't go to sleep. They just can't go to sleep. So they keep surfing, they keep whatever on their smartphone, 
right? They keep surfing, they keep surfing, they keep surfing. So, understand this. I'm addressing myself first and everybody else also should understand. That however far we are from even the sunnah lifestyle, I'm not even talking about sunnah taqwa and the sunnah adab. That's a huge standard. However far we are from the sunnah lifestyle, the sunnah schedule, the sunnah timetable, the sunnah understanding of night and day, that's how far we're going to be from Allah subhanahu wa And it actually is that easy in that sense, I mean that easy in the sense of clearly identifying the task, as closer we become to the sunnah lifestyle, sunnah schedule, sunnah timetable, the closer we become to Allah subhanahu wa and if ever in your life you've ever spent a few days like this, you will see. Because what happens, and that's why even when the West was traditional, means when the West was not atheist, and when the West was not secular, when the West was traditional, so they used to have things they call adages, aphorisms. So you know it's the early to bed, early to rise, and whatever it was about the worm, I forgot even now. The early bird gets the worm. What happens is that when you follow the Sunnah lifestyle, you're also up from that time from Fajr to Zawal, which is before the Sunnah nap. So from Fajr to Zawal is the most Baraka time of the day. And how many, now you yourself know the answer to this question, how many Muslim youth are awake in the first half of the night from Isha to Nisfalayl, and how many of them are asleep from Fajr to Zawal? It's a complete reversal from the Sunnah time to right. Now of course there may be a few people, okay, you have night jobs or you have to study late night. And the Vyakarim did allow for that. That for studying being, teaching being, you can be up at night. But that's rare. We can't be so soft because the majority of times we're up at night is for the other things. It's every now and then we're up at night for the sake of being or for the sake of exam or because we have a project or work submission. The majority of time we're up is for social recreational, leisure activities. So, okay, now if we can't eliminate that, like I said, try either start with once in your lifetime. Make that niyat once in your lifetime. Try this. Sleep in the half of the night and rise up. And then be awake from Pajr to Zawal. Make niyat once in a lifetime, then once in a year, then once in a month, and maybe once a week. Right? And even if you, I won't even go further than that. If you could even do it once a week, and then the best night for that is Thursday night. Because actually in our deen, as you know, Maghrib it starts Juma, And the Kareem Sosam did say clearly in Hadith that the best of days is Friday and the best of nights is the night that precedes Friday, any of the night that we're in. Alright? Okay? So try maybe sometimes on a Thursday night to follow this tertiary. To sleep early. Now, of course, you may not be able to sleep immediately after Isha, like at 8 p.m. Because I don't even feel tired. I'm used to sleeping at 12 a.m. or 1 a.m. Okay, bring it, just, I would say, drop it down by two hours. If you sleep at midnight, sleep at 10 p.m. If you sleep at 1 a.m., sleep at 11 p.m. Try to drop it down by two hours and try to stay up from Fajr onward the next day. And then use that extra time to do more Ibadah. Take that, the whole purpose of excess is to do Ibadah. It's not even a 24 hour exercise. It's like a 12 hour exercise. We're just talking about the night time, right? We're talking about 11 p.m. to 11 a.m. Put it like that, a 12 hour exercise. And if you do this 12 hour exercise once in a lifetime, once in a year, once in a month, once in a week, inshallah you will find 
and it will help you in your spirituality and your relationship with Allah SWT. And as I keep telling you throughout this series, you have to, that's why sometimes we say practical things, because the purpose of all of deen is practice. And the only way that we can make sure people come onto practice is by being practical. Alright? You have to practice these things. You have to practice, you have to practice it, you have to practice it. Otherwise we can, you know, there's more, I suppose, there's even more coming in the chapter on the virtues and merits of Tadjur and being up at night, there's poetry, there's a lot more coming on it. Right? But the point is that it's relevant unless we have at least a niyyah and an intention or even a dua or a hope or a wish or a dream that one day we could practice this for one night of our life. But it really makes a big impact on a person. It makes a big impact on a person. And sometimes I think, you know, we should even try to have these overnight programs earlier. That Maghrib to Isha and that's it. And no food either. And Isha, Amr, people just do Ibadah. Right? Sometimes we have to do a lot of those, like, you know, three, four, five bounds for you to take off. So, but it's actually good sometimes just to do Ibadah. Sometimes people are too weak to do Ibadah in their own homes. And that's why it's not a recent thing. Centuries ago, the practice of Qiyam al and Masajid was started. Why? So that people could feed off one another's energy, right? Feed off one another's energy and try to have that night of Ibadah. Alright, and again we live in a strange day and age. That the masajids are locked after Isha and the TVs are unlocked and the phones are unlocked after Isha. It's a strange age that we live in. Alright? So, these were some teachings uh, from the Sunnah of Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now I'm just going to open up that, uh, give you the timings so the practical thing is finished. Well, this is coming up. I'm just going to give an overview of uh, the topics that are coming. I'll just tell you one, one line. So after talking about Tahajjud Salah, uh, then Imam Ta'ala. actually the, the purpose of the rest of this was just to talk about the different Nawaz Salah. And then he's even going to give you recommendations of different surahs to recite. Here I would just say that you should try to learn something new and recite something new sometimes in your Tahajjud Salah. The next chapter is on reciting Qur'an. Here, simply, I will just say this much, that again, try to have a practice. If you can't recite Qur'an, I mean, I'm going very for the beginners. If you can't recite Qur'an every day, then try to recite it once a week. Right? If you can't recite it, I mean, I don't think I have to go that far to say, make me that you only recite it once in your life, and then recite it once in a year, once in a month. But at least if you can't do it daily, do it every other day, do it weekly. Alright? Uh, the next chapter is on acquiring knowledge. Here again we would just say, that because he's not talking about it generally, this is why he uses the word weird, that you should try to have a practice of acquiring knowledge. So that is different levels what we've made for you people. One is this Quranic Studies course, and we have these monthly beyond monthly workshops that we plan to launch, which we're doing already, but we're going to make it a bit more formal. Uh, but you should have some regular aspect of acquiring knowledge. The next thing was on zikr, to have some regular way that you make the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, regularly, repeatedly trying to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And the last thing in this series of chapters is Sikr, to have a regular way that you reflect and contemplate upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? Difference between Zikr and Fikr. Zikr means to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Fikr means to reflect on something in order to make you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You might reflect on Quran, you might reflect on Hadith, you might reflect on nature, you might reflect on what happened to you, you might reflect on some sadness, you might reflect on your sins, uh, you may reflect on many, many things, and that's such a very long chapter uh, that Imam Muhammad writes. So these are the type of regular things that a person has to adopt in their schedule so they become closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the times that were there is uh, last third of the night, last sixth of the night. So when you calculate the last sixth of the night, I mean, you don't, you don't have to sleep necessarily either. And like I said, you may not be advised to sleep at that time. Uh, and then obviously you... One is the start of Fajr, but then there's the whatever the Jamaat time in your Fajr is uh, in your Masjid. Actually, I made a few other... Um, okay, here we go. So now for September 22nd, uh, but, you know, because at midnight it will become September 23rd, all right? So, you'd be surprised, Nisfilil, Nisfilil, half of the night on 22nd will be 11.16 p.m. 11.16 p.m. tonight will be Nisfilil. Then 1 a.m., 1 a.m. is when the last third of the night starts. And those of you that attended some of our talks in the past, but also know many times we, whenever we would talk about consciousness, we would tell people that many times people are actually awake in the last third of the night and they don't even realize. They think last third of the night starts somehow at 4 a.m. 1 a.m. exactly actually tonight, 1.00 a.m. will start the last third of the night. So 1 a.m. up till the start of Fajr, uh, start of Fajr is 4.24 a.m. From 1 a.m. to 4.24 a.m. for 3 hours and 24 minutes, Allah subhanahu wa has this offer. That is, anyone making any request, I will grant it to them. Anyone asking forgiveness for any sin, I will forgive them. 3 hours and 24 minutes it will last. And if you wanted to sleep that last sixth of the night, that starts at 2.42 a.m. 2.42 a.m. This is something we will, our website team is there, but this is a feature I plan to put on the Islamic Spiritual website. The most complicated fair timetable available on the net. Look, Actually, I should maybe not because an average person will say, where are the five prayers? There's all types of numbers going on here. Right? So again, I repeat for tonight, just so you get an idea. Uh, so that... Oh. Sorry, we're looking at the long line. Apologies, 22nd, 11, yeah, no, 11.16 p.m. Yeah, 11.16 p.m. is Nisfulayl. Then tonight, 1 a.m. will be the start of the last third of the night. 2.45 a.m. will be the start of the last sixth of the night. And up till 4.30 a.m. At 4.30 a.m. Fajr will start. So it's a full three and a half hours. So let's say, for example, if in your Masjid Fajr's Jamaat is 5.10 a.m. 
so you would have gone to sleep, uh, you know, you go to sleep whenever you go to sleep. It's hard to wake up at 11.16 a.m., 11.16 p.m. I'm surprised with one confusing thing. There's only one thing I'll openly tell you. There's only one glitch in this system. And that is that the Hadith is about Sina Dawud al-Islam. That he used to wake up at Nisfah layal and sleep the last six of the night and worship the fourth and fifth six of the night. The trick there is that Sayyidina Dawud al-Islam did not have to pay Isha Salah. So for him, Layl means he goes to sleep right after Maghrib, and he wakes up at 11.16 p.m. And me and you, we have to pray Isha Salah and Jamaat, right? So that's the trick over there. That's the, the slight glitch in the system, right? Yeah. Uh, so you actually will in, not actually get to sleep as much as never doubt the Islam got to sleep. But mashallah, you'll make it up after Fajr, right? <laughs> you can make it up after Fajr. Okay, but the key thing, key thing, there's not so much that in this falil, that like I said, at least you do amal on that at least. But the last third part, which again starts at 1 a.m., alright? Uh, and again, probably, and it's been 1 a.m. actually for the whole month. Uh, this, it, the timings aren't changing so much in this, you know, those of you who know your son, we were in the autumn equinox was yesterday. There's a very stable time. September times hardly change that much. Okay? So this is the last thing I have to do for you. Uh, and then the Satul Duha timing. That's not calculated on this yet. That formula I have still yet to do. We have, uh, I have Nisfin Nahar. Uh, that Nisfin Nahar of the daytime on 22nd is 11.15 a.m. And what you have to do is simply have, I can try to do it over Roughly speaking, it's 8 a.m. 8 a.m. is the time to start the time. 8.05 a.m. it will work out to. Right? That's it. That, that formula hasn't been added yet in this time too. Alright? So basically, pray two rakats between 8 and 9 a.m. And pray two rakats between 1 a.m. and 4.30 a.m. But that's it. That's the hustle. Okay? May Allah Ta'ala accept it from us. And may Allah Ta'ala grant us an understanding of the night and day uh, that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala wanted us to have in our deen. In the blessed teachings of Nabi Kareem Grant us that Khalil, grant us Akal, grant us even the smallest amount of Ibadah that let us have Istiqamat on it, let us be regular in it, grant us your Kububiyat in it, grant us Muhabubiyat and Ahabiyat in it, Yad Bikrim, grant us Tawfiq to pray two rakahs in the night, two rakahs in the day, Yad Bikrim, grant us Tawfiq to stay away from all of the Fuzul, Lal, all of the idle, vain, futile activities of the night, Yad Bikrim, put Barakah in our night, Put baraka on our day, put baraka on our health, put baraka on our earning, put baraka on our working, put baraka on our studying, put baraka on our teaching, and in the beginning put baraka on our gatherings, put baraka on our partners.
things in Bikrim, in Barakah, in our learning of Deen, let everything we learn be translated into practice, let every ilm be converted into amal, in Bikrim, let us have ikhlas in our ilm, ikhlas in our amal, istikama in our ilm, istikama in our amal, istikama in our ikhlas, and let us have Mustafa Qubuliyat, Ya Rabb, Mahbubiyat, Ya Rabb, let us have Ya Raza, Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, and forgive us for all of the opportunities we wasted, forgive us for those so countless thousands and thousands of times that we were awake in the last hour of the night and you called out to us and we were deaf to that call, we were dumb to that call, we were heedless of that call, we make Tawbah, Ya Rabb, grant us more qadr of deen, grant us more, make us more qadr and dawn of you, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, and we ask that you forgive us for all the nighttime entertainment that we have done, forgive us for all the TV we have watched, forgive us for all the movies we have seen, forgive us for all the music that we heard, forgive us for all the futile gatherings that we attended, and Rabbi Kareem, it is your karam and fuzzle, if you wish, Ya Rabb, you can convert all of that into time spent on deen, to gatherings of deen, learning of deen, ibadat, akhlaq, adab, ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Rabbi Kareem, change all of our sayyat into hasanat, change all of our moments of ghafla into moments of zikr, change all of our jahala into ilm, change all of our laziness into practice. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make us strong on deen, steadfast in deen, make us permanent in Ya Rabb, make us maqbool in your deen. ربنا تقبل منا إنك أنت السميع العليم وتوب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين